This program is brought to you from Wisconsin Eyes Margaret Farrow Studio. Hello and welcome to Newsmakers. I'm your host, Lisa Pugh. Wisconsin Eye is kicking off 2023 with a series of interviews with key legislative leaders. Today, on the eve of the Governor's State of the State Address, we are sitting down with Republican leaders, Assembly Speaker Robin Voss and Senate Majority Leader Devin Lemahieu. Welcome to you both. Thanks, Lisa. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Eve of the State of the State. It's Tuesday, January 24th. As we're sitting down here, what would you like to hear from the Governor tonight? Well, the first thing I hope to hear is a plan for what we're going to do with the record surplus that we have. Um, my preference, of course, would be to return it to the folks who have overpaid their taxes. Um, there are certainly investments that we're going to need to make. We'll hear more about those in the budget. But I think that for all the strength that Wisconsin has, and we have a lot, we have a good work ethic, we have a, a, you know, a really sound economic um, foundation to build on, we still have some major issues. Um, I think when you look around, we have inflation that is devastating uh, people's pocketbooks. We still have far too many jobs that are vacant because of bad policies from the federal government and echoed by the state. Um, we have to make investments in our future workforce. So I think we have a lot of challenges. My hope is that Governor Evers tries to put forward ideas that could gather the support of both parties as opposed to playing to his base, which has kind of been his four-year modus operandi, I guess. Do you think you're going to hear a plan where you're going to hear some things you can agree with tonight? I hope so, but I'm somewhat doubtful that we will. Uh, we saw in his inauguration speech that it was a, a bunch of his, you know, liberal agenda items and, you know, critiquing Republicans on, on their ideas. Um, he talks out of one side that he wants to work together, but then continues to push, you know, a lot of ideas that are non-starters for, for us. So hopefully, as, as the speaker said, we get some areas that we can work together on and uh, move the state to forward. You mentioned that record surplus. That's a very popular topic of discussion in the media and in the Capitol. Approaching $7 billion, is that the current figure? Yes. So <clears throat> does having a record surplus like that make your job easier or more challenging in kind of managing priorities in your members? Um, I, th I was worried two years ago when we, it was in April, I think, when we got the budget news that we were going to have an extra $3 billion. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we, we took that money and gave it back to the taxpayers, largely, uh, as we went through the budget. So I think from our caucus standpoint, uh, it, it's, a, it's a great opportunity for us to make some historic uh, changes to our tax code. You know, when we have uh, $7 billion, and that's, by the way, that's a surplus at the end. That doesn't include new revenue going into the next budget, so we'll have even more money to work with. Uh, first, we need to be somewhat cautious because we could be heading into a little bit of a recession, so we need to figure out um, what our revenues might be in the, in the next two years of the budget, but, um, you know, we need to address areas, uh, local governments that are facing inflationary pressures, but largely we need to give that money back to the taxpayers and and, you know, three of our four uh, neighboring states have uh, lower tax um, income tax uh, percentages than us. And, uh, you know, I think one of the things we found out with the pandemic, one of the benefits of the pandemic is that people can work from home. They can work remotely and they can live wherever they want in, in a lot of uh, places. So for us to have such a punitive um, income tax code in Wisconsin does not help us draw people to the state, especially when they can just go over to the border to Illinois and pay less in taxes. So do you see challenges in having this amount of money kind of on the table as you talk to people about different priorities within the caucus? Yeah, I mean, I think um, 
So it, it's important, as Senator Lemmy, who really brought up a good point, that it is important for people to remember that our surplus is money in our savings account, and then we have new money, which is good money that will be in our checking account once we get the announcement kind of mid-February. So we have to be careful. Spending money in our savings account should be on one-time things. Spending money in our checking account is for ongoing revenues or ongoing expenses. Um, but I, I think part of the challenge of Republicans is that we have a lot of ideas for reform. Um, driving cost savings, figuring a way to get money back to the taxpayer. The one thing that I think our caucus is united on, I think it's where we have total agreement, we're not going to expand the size of government. So, you know, if Democrats were in control, they would have a different agenda. They would use every dollar like some of the Democrat states around us to grow the size of government, make it more expensive, expand welfare. We're not going to do any of those things. So we're going to make prudent investments. Um, Senator Lemmy, who's right, I mean, we have inflationary pressures. We have wage increases. We have to give public employees legitimate expenses that have to happen. But the vast majority of the money should go back to the people who overpaid it. Um, so it's an easier decision for us that way than it might be for the Democrats. Um, our challenge is figuring out where the best investments to make are without overspending. So you both mentioned uh, that this is an opportunity for generational tax reform in some way. Are there some ways in, w in which you and your chambers differ in how to approach that? Or are you on the same page about what tax reform can look like in Wisconsin? I mean, I, I, give, I give Senator Lemmy Hugh a ton of credit for putting forward a very bold idea to say, let's make Wisconsin the star of the upper Midwest. We know that when you have a 0% tax burden in Florida, Texas, Tennessee, Arizona just dropped their tax rate pretty dramatically. We have seen states all around the country become a lot more competitive as we have sat somewhat static. Um, I think we need to do a lot more. Now, Can we do flat tax? I would love to do that. Will we get all the way with Governor Evers? Who knows? Um, you know, people didn't believe he would sign our last income tax cut, which is the largest in state history, and he did in the end. So I don't think we should automatically assume that it won't happen. But I think that any reduction that we make that's sizable, it should not be smaller than our last tax cut. I think that was with nowhere near the surplus, right? That was three, a little over $3 billion. So I think that would be a floor. But if we could get anywhere near as bold as Senator Lemihue, I'd be right there. But I don't want to say it's that or nothing. Well, let's talk about your flat tax proposal. You've introduced uh, a, a plan to get Wisconsin to a flat individual income tax, 3.25%. Uh, those in the lowest tax bracket, let's look on the screen uh, what the tax brackets look like now, would experience a quarter percentage point tax cut, while those in the top bracket would have their tax rate cut in half. How, how do you respond to criticism that says this generally benefits the wealthiest Wisconsinites going to a flat tax. Well, those who are earning more in income are paying way more in income taxes. It's just that simple. Um, in, in, as the speaker pointed out in the last budget, we uh, made some nice uh, tax cuts towards middle-income people. But if we keep ignoring the top tax code, we're, we have the second highest top tax rate um, between New York and California. The only state that's higher than us is our neighbors in Minnesota, um, which I don't know what they're doing over there. But uh, we need to address the entire tax code and give tax cuts to all taxpayers. You know, the vast majority of workers in the state hit the two highest tax codes. It, if you're working full-time, you almost end up automatically in that second or in the third tax bracket. So, and that tax rate is almost cut in half under this plan. It's reduced by, you know, two percentage points. So that's huge savings for the vast majority of those who are paying taxes in the state of Wisconsin. The average, if, if my plan is instituted, it's, it's very simple, just ratcheting down all four brackets by a 
simple percentage point in four years. Um, when it's all said and done, you know, the average taxpayer will receive a, will pay $1,000 less in taxes every year. I mean, that's real money to real families that is going to invest in our economy, and it's gonna, it's, it should attract people to move to Wisconsin. Another criticism of moving to a flat tax is loss of revenues. I think the Fiscal Bureau estimates that by 2026, the state would collect about half as much in tax revenues as compared to the last fiscal year. Should Wisconsinites be concerned about loss of revenues to pay for state services in the way they've become accustomed to our state services quality? I don't think so. I mean, one of our challenges is um, we have to figure a way to attract more people that want to live in Wisconsin. Um, Right now, we have 100,000 plus jobs that are unfilled. You go to any restaurant, you go to any um, business, and there's either a help wanted sign or half the restaurant is shut down because they don't have enough help. So we have a demographic problem. We are graying faster than the national average. We've got to do something to change that trajectory. And Offering a bunch of additional services is not affordable for the state of Wisconsin. So I think we need to invest in our core priorities. We have always been a very kind and caring state. We have great schools. I don't think those things will suffer. But I think we also have to do things differently. We need to find out how can we drive savings? How can we drive efficiencies? How can we focus on our core priorities by lowering the tax burden? I think we're going to bring more people here. We know that in the last budget, we reduced taxes by the largest amount in state history, and we also now have record revenues. So I believe that there is a direct relation to helping to generate more revenues by having a growing, prosperous economy with lots of successful people here. I think we can do that by having a reduced tax rate and still invest in our priorities. If you had to um, pick one area, what would you name as the state's greatest current challenge? I, well. Do we have to just limit it to one? <laughs> There's a lot. We yeah. only have 30 yeah, minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the biggest challenge facing uh, Wisconsin families is inflation. Um, paying for gas, paying for groceries, uh, just struggling with, with inflation for families. But the other, as the speaker just mentioned, is our demographic issue in Wisconsin, an aging workforce. So I think those are the two biggest challenges facing Wisconsin from a family standpoint. Yeah, I can find a great job. There's many places hiring. But, man, i got to... You know, fill up my propane tank, or I need to put gas in my car, or pay pay six dollars for six dollars for a dozen eggs for yeah. crying out loud. Um, so th- those are the challenges, the real world challenges that families are facing when they're going through their budget, um, and you know, rising interest rates and, and everything else are causing challenges. But you know, if you talk to any employer around the state, it's it's a workforce issue. Trying to, you know, they there's over hundred thousand jobs right now on on Wisconsin's website. Um, just you know, filling just simple positions, you know, people stealing stealing employees from other industries to try to get into there. It just, it's a very competitive market. So anything we can do to um, make Wisconsin more competitive, to get people to move here, to keep people to stay here, you know, will help out that, that challenge. Do you agree? Are those the same Absolutely. challenges? Absolutely. I mean, if I took those two, and I agree with both of those, um, but I would also add in the thing that keeps me up at night is figuring out how we're going to pay for our roads and transportation in the long run. Um, I saw an article in the Wall Street Journal today that said last year 10% of the new vehicles that were sold were electric. So in some parts of the country it's higher, in some parts it's lower. But when the entire transportation budget focuses on registration fees and gasoline taxes, that, that's a big challenge for us because I don't want to use income and sales tax dollars to pay for roads. I want people who 
use the roads to pay for them. So I think that's a big challenge we've got to figure out. Does surplus create an opportunity to reform the way we fund? It could. I mean, and it could be, once again, maybe we could use some of those one-time revenues um, as a potential to help some of the backlog, but we need to figure out an ongoing revenue source that says if you drive on the roads, you should pay for it. Um, so I think that that's another big challenge we have to figure out. Frankly, how do we deal with a rising crime rate? Um, that I also worry about. Um, just in Milwaukee this last weekend, you saw, I think it was four murders. Um, so we are unfortunately in a time where we have huge challenges um, that really affect our quality of life. Making sure we can get to work and get to um, you know, vacation up north, making sure you're safe when you go out for dinner in a big city or in a small town. Those are things that I think we should also never forget as a challenge that we have to figure out. Uh, you both mentioned the workforce shortage. Last fall, Forward Analytics, which is the research arm of the Wisconsin Counties Association, issued a report saying that without more people moving to Wisconsin, the workforce would shrink by 130,000 people by 2030. They also said Wisconsin lost 106,000 more families than it gained between 2012 and 2020. And over the previous decade, migration to Wisconsin was down nearly a third compared to the prior decade and down 75% from the 1990s. We've already talked a little bit about this. I'm going to ask you what's to blame. Um, you can't say the weather. Is it really? Is it really taxes? Are there other factors that are um, making people move or not want to come to Wisconsin? You think you would put your finger on tax, high taxes? I think it's one aspect. I, I will say this: I listened to Governor Evers' inaugural address where he said one of the reasons people aren't moving here is because they don't have access to abortion. I think that's silly, right? I think people make a whole lot of decisions on where they move. What are the first thing that most couples look at when they decide where to move for a new job? How are the schools? What's the price of a home? What's the tax burden that we're gonna have to pay for? How much are property taxes? What's the quality of life? I think we really score well on a lot of those things, but the thing that shies people away from it is it's expensive to buy a house in Wisconsin, partly because we need more workforce housing, period. But the other thing is because our property tax and income taxes are not competitive. So I'm not saying that that's a, a simple answer where you could just cut that and it would mean tons of people come to Wisconsin, but it certainly has to be a factor when couples are looking across the country to say, where do we wanna move and start our life? So. I hope that we keep doing a better job telling the good story of Wisconsin. One of the things that I was most disappointed by is we put money in Governor Walker's last budget for a talent attraction campaign. Um, Governor Evers had four years to put it into effect, and I don't think we spent any of the money. So part of what we have to do is go out and tell our story. We have to do a better job to say Wisconsin does have excellent schools and a great quality of life. And yes, we have four seasons, which I love. I think a lot of people across the country That's do, too. That's a negative. Yeah, it's a positive, right? That's what I think. So I, I think we just have to focus on that if we can. Uh, Democratic colleagues uh, disagree that tax reform is the reason people uh, don't want to move here. They'll talk about investment in public education, university system, environmental investments. Do you agree that we can be investing more in those sorts of um, areas in order to attract and retain more people? I think we are investing in our education system in the state of Wisconsin. We have very good services in the state of Wisconsin. I'm not as thrilled about our four seasons as <laughs> especially one of the four yeah. seasons yeah. like the other three. Yeah. Maybe not spring sometimes living on Lake Michigan. Sometimes we miss spring on that side of the Weather's state. Weather's a little unpredictable. But, uh, but no, it, it, if you you can also find studies that the 10 states that where people are moving out of are high-tax states. It's New York, it's California, <clears throat> some that are cold weather, some that are warm weather, and they're moving towards states with no income taxes like Florida, Tennessee, Texas. Granted, some of those states have a little nicer climate than Wisconsin, but you know we have great schools in, in this state, and we've made investments in the past, and we'll make investments again in the future. Uh, we have great roads, you know, uh, 
it's a beautiful state most of the year, even, so even when it does snow. So you would point yeah. to the taxes as kind of the priority of priority cause of people maybe leaving or considering moving, not moving here. I think that's part of part of it, and part of it is what what the speaker said. We need to do a better job of telling our story that we're if we're not just necessarily about cheese and brats, but mm-hmm. you know we have we have a great state to live in with beautiful lakes. I think. Minnesota maybe has done a better job of branding itself the land of 10,000 lakes and we're the cheese state. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've, cheese is good. I've, I've, yeah, been, cheese I've been is in good. a lot of Minnesota and I think a lot of Wisconsin's prettier than, than, than yeah. areas of Minnesota, which are you we're know, pretty farm related. We're going to get some negative reviews on this show from <laughs> our drive, Minnesota viewers. Here. Drive across Interstate 90 in Minnesota, that's a, that's a pretty boring drive. <laughs> <laughs> Can't argue that, it's true. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit more about education. You both mentioned K-12 schools. We know the governor will likely talk a lot about public education tonight uh, in his State of the State address. Um, he's, in, he's proposing, or he's talked about, an increase of $2 billion for public schools in his biennial budget that will come out in February. Districts are talking about a lack of inflationary adjustments. There's a chart on the screen from the School Boards Association. They're talking about how if the um, per-pupil spendable resources had consistently been increased with inflationary adjustments that had been in place in 2008-2009, that the schools would have received about $3,100 more per pupil in this current school year. They talk about how not keeping up with inflation really is causing some of the significant workforce challenges, teacher shortages. What? How do you Boy, respond? I mean, well, first of all, it's important to kind of level set that we spend $13,000 per pupil on average in the state of Wisconsin. So for a classroom of 20 kids, it's a quarter million dollars per classroom. So we also saw that over the course of the pandemic, we had record amounts of money that came in from the federal government. Now, granted, they were one time, but we actually saw our results with all this money in the classroom worsen over the course of the last three years. So we now have two out of every three kids that are not reading at grade level and can't do math at their grade level either. Well, that is something that we should be embarrassed by. When two-thirds of the kids are not reading at grade level, there's a major problem that we have, and it's not solved by just putting more money in, or we would have solved it over the course of the past three years with all this one-time resources. So we also know um, I I am a huge supporter of school choice, and I want to have parents empowered to make a choice that's best for their family. Uh, We know that in the last school year, 72,000 kids left one public school to go to another public school. So the Democrats want to make it seem like school choice is all about a public school student going to a private school. That does happen, but there's also a lot of public school choice from one district to another because it's closer to someone's work or they have a better program for a child with special needs. I mean, there are all kinds of legitimate reasons, but I think that the answer simply can't be more money. Um, and don't forget, in that chart, it fails to account for all the reforms that we put in with Act 10, which had a dramatic savings in the amount of money that they had to spend. Uh, that's not factored in there. So. I think we do a good job with the investment that we make. We will give an an increase in investment to schools. Should it be $2 billion? I think that's probably a number that's way too high based on any kind of a reasonable man's assumption. Um, But I guess we'll have to wait and see what the governor offers. Senator Lemahieu, is it reasonable to believe that schools can move student achievement and better support students, particularly with what we know are increased mental health needs uh, coming out of the pandemic, without inflationary adjustment adjustments to public school funding? Oh, we have been giving inflationary adjustments to public Just schools. Just at the level that they I, I find it ironic that they started in 2008 when Jim Doyle cut um, K-12 funding. Um, if you look from fiscal year 2017 to 2022, which is 
per when I was around voting <laughs> on budgets. Yeah. Uh, school funding has, from the state has increased by 18% over that five-year period, while, while the number of children in schools has gone down by 4% during that time. So we are making the necessary um, investment in, in K-12 education and, and will continue to do so. Um, and there's some important things that we've done with mental health um, for education. We've increased that funding in the last uh, couple of budgets. Um, I worked on a bill with Representative Tittle to let um, mental health services even be provided into schools, which makes it easier for them to provide it. So, you know, we, we have made those investments. Moving on to shared revenue, seems to be uh, investment in local governments seems to be some sort of bipartisan agreement, priority, both sides of the aisle, in some way, shape, or form. Um, the governor's proposed a $100 million increase in shared revenues for local governments. Is, is that a right amount, or where are you? what's your starting point? Uh, it certainly could be in the ballpark. We don't know yet. Um, we are still having a lot of discussions about making sure that whatever money we give to local governments does not just sprinkle money on the top of what they're already doing. We need to make sure that, yes, um, people who are in public service, uh, people who are police officers, our firefighters, pick up our garbage, deal with the folks who are in uh, a juvenile detention facility. Everybody who works for the public sector uh, needs to make sure that we are competitive. And I think part of the challenge that we have is with inflation at six, seven, eight percent, it's hard to have inflation, uh, or it's hard to have wages held to one or two percent. So we will probably have to give larger increases to public employees than we have in the past just to be competitive. Um, I would like to make sure that we have uh, a fair system all across the state. So we have rural areas that have a lot of concerns and needs for what they have. We have growing areas in, um, you know, the eastern part of the western part of the state that have that. So I think in the end, we will have a package that people look at and say that's a good compromise um, that focuses on incentivizing growth, but also finding ways to save money. Uh, we just can't keep doing things as we have. We have more school districts than the state of Florida, and we have more municipalities in the state of California. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to be down to that number, but kind of continuing as we always have isn't realistic as our revenues need to be refocused toward attracting people here, not just growing the size of government. So does that mean you're proponent for consolidation then? I would say, yeah, if we can have voluntary ways. I wouldn't mandate it, but if we could have voluntary ways for people to share services, find ways to deliver them more efficiently or more effectively in a different way, yeah, I think that'd be a better way for us to go forward. Are you, do you agree? Shared services, consolidation? That's that's vitally important. A lot of, a lot of levels of government have been doing that already, but trying to incentivize uh, more consolidation where it makes sense and can save taxpayers money and provide better services, that's, that's definitely a goal. Um, it's interesting, the governor's, uh, to touch on shared revenue a little bit, it's great that the governor's proposing that, but the shared revenue formula is currently flawed. Um, some townships might only see a you know twenty thirty dollar increase with that you know four percent increase each year, um, which does nothing to solve their 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 problems. Um, that doesn't address their inflationary. So as we're looking at it, and we've had uh, quite a few meetings already, and we hope to at some point uh, find a solution. But how does how do we find a solution that works for towns, for municipalities, and for counties that is might be a little different for each level? But it, the great thing is all three of them right now are working together to try to find a solution where they don't always <laughs> sit yeah, in the same room and, and agree. Um, so it, it's it's... I think it's encouraging that all three of them are working towards a solution with us, and, and hopefully we can find that solution. When you talk about solution, one of the ones that has been talked about is diverting 1% of the sales tax to be the funding source for shared revenue. Uh, I guess some of the criticism there, it's an unpredictable source in economic downturn. 
pluses and minuses of looking to a 1% sale ta sales tax to fund shared revenue? Well, our current system um, really focuses on growth. So if you are in a municipality, the way that you are able to generate more revenue to pay for the needed services you have is that you have to have growth inside your community. New homes being built, new businesses coming into town, those are things that help. Um, I do agree with the idea of having some kind of a focus on that the better the economy does, that shared revenue would somehow reflect that through local government so that they incentivize creation of new jobs, they incentivize people moving to a community. I think those would be good. So that's one of the things we've talked about, um, but again, we're a long way from having soup. Is In terms of that 1% sales tax, is there some danger there that in a downturn in the economy that that public services would suffer in a shared revenue formula that's based on that? So even in a, a tough time, it's only maybe a year where, you know, that sales tax takes takes a hit. It is obviously more volatile than maybe income tax, income revenues and things like that. But I, I understand their incentive to have it tied to something that typically typically grows. Um, the economy continues to grow. There's inflationary. I mean, inflation affects sales tax revenue. So I mean, that it it makes sense whether that's one percent or just uh, tying it to that. I understand why that might be an important thing that they're pushing for. Uh, switching gears here, what do you predict will happen with Wisconsin's abortion law in the next year? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I feel like this is one of those topics where, you know, look, abortion's been controversial for 50 years. You have people who are passionately pro-life and passionately pro-choice. Um, it seems now the courts have returned it back to the elected officials where it should be. But I feel like the Democrats, especially Governor Ebers, is trying to use it as a political wedge. Um, I wanted to sit down and see if we could update the statute, and he said, absolutely no, we're going to veto anything that would change the current law. Well, that's not realistic. So he's more or less taking the issue off the table. When I go door to door and when I talk to people, it's mostly about the workforce. It's mostly about the fact that they cannot find enough people to work in their business. They cannot find enough people to wait on them if they go to Kohl's for Christmas. So people waited in long lines, my neighbors did, because there just weren't people there. So I feel like that's really the crisis that people want us to talk about. Uh, abortion is really just a political topic that I think Democrats are using to try to gin up their own base when the reality is we could work to find a consensus, but Governor Evers has shut that down. What do you think will happen with Wisconsin's abortion law in the next 12 months? I hope it stays in place. The 1849? Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, that's, I hope a rogue court doesn't try to overturn it um, because as the federal U.S. Supreme Court says it's it's a it's not a constitutional right and it's left up to to the uh, the electorate to to decide so um, as, as the speaker said the governor has shut down all debate on maybe making reasonable changes um, but you know this is a very important issue to a lot of people this is about a life protecting life and uh, which is why you know it is an important um, issue for a lot of folks. Now that that uh, topic may come before the state Supreme Court, likely will come before the state Supreme Court. How important is that state Supreme Court race on the ballot in April? Well, every race is important. Um, but the thing that I worry about is that for really the past decade, we have had a Supreme Court that has realized their job is to be the referee. Usually, when there's a difference between the executive branch and the, uh, the legislative branch, or between two independent parties bringing idea, an idea forward. The last thing that I want is a super legislature where they are unaccountable to the people for a 10-year term. And that's more or less what two of the people running for the Supreme Court have kind of said they want to do. They want to say, we don't agree with the legislature because we're going to be a super legislator. Well, if they want to, they want to be in the legislature, join us. Run.
Tell people what you believe. But this idea that you're going to have a Supreme Court election be about a super legislature should scare us all um, because it's just as possible that conservatives could do that. Now, luckily, our philosophy doesn't focus on that. It's really being a referee versus being one of the combatants. Um, but I, I, I think that's what we should all be concerned about. So hopefully they pick a, a candidate who respects the rule of law, who understands there are three very different branches of government with three very different missions. Uh, and as soon as they blend into each other, our whole republic begins to crumble. Uh, Senator Lemahe, you've endorsed Judge Doro in the race. I have. Have you made an endorsement? I have not yet. Yep. And do you, are you going to weigh in? Uh, probably not before the primary. I think we have two excellent candidates running, both conservative. Um, but I think uh, I just want to make sure that we have somebody who has the best opportunity to win in April. Um, in the, in last November, Governor Evers, by Wisconsin margins, won that race by a, a relatively healthy margin. Does that? change the way that you work with the governor in this biennial budget season in this session? You know, it's really interesting. So um, there are many districts where uh, the Senate candidate and the Assembly candidates uh, outperformed the governor by uh, quite a margin. Um, I think in three of my four that were highly contested, um, we handily beat beat the governor in in those races by three, four points in some of those seats. So we we have members who are elected um, won you know seats that Governor Evers won. So I, I think it's important to for the governor to realize that um, we're here representing our districts, and it's very important that we ran on certain principles, and he he won statewide. Um, so. Hopefully, he is willing to work together to find some of those solutions that, you know, we that can help move Wisconsin forward. In the last biennial, two two last biennial budget ses sessions, the legislature has kind of started from scratch mm -hmm. with the governor's budget. Do you anticipate that this time, or do you think there's going to be more collaboration? I anticipate we'll do it the same way we have the last two times. It makes sense. I mean, Governor Evers gets to put his ideas forward. He has spent time listening to whoever his people are that he's met with, and that's great. Um, we have had much more robust conversations because let me tell you, as somebody who did thousands of doors uh, over the course of the summer, I feel like I have a really good pulse on where people in my district want us to go. And I think most legislators have the same opportunity to talk to their constituents. We just have a different way of interacting, which I think makes us closer to the people and much more responsive. So you anticipate throwing out the governor's budget? I think we'll start over like we have. Every, so what we basically do is we start at zero and we build on. If he has a good idea, we take a good idea. If we have a better way to do it, we put the better idea in. So that's pretty much the way we've done it for the last four years. I can't imagine doing it any different. All right, final question as we wrap up here. What are you looking forward to most in this upcoming session? Um, I'm most looking forward to uh, reforming our tax code, as I've mentioned throughout this uh, interview. You know, we're at a very unique spot in Wisconsin's history. We've never had a surplus like this. We've never had an instance where we've been overtaxing our taxpayers by this amount. A lot of it's being caused by, you know, inflation and the federal money being poured into the state government over the last three years or into local governments uh, and schools and counties and things like that sort of jumping up that inflation and uh, but we we have a, a chance to really make a difference to make Wisconsin more competitive and uh, and also invest in core priorities at the same time so I'm, I'm hoping the governor's willing to work with us so we can make uh, as was mentioned before he signed our last tax cut which we weren't certain that he was going to do but it'd be more beneficial this time if if he works with us going throughout the budget process so we know what he's he's willing to do and uh, that that way we can work to find solutions that that our caucus can get behind and that he can get behind
What are you looking forward to in this session? I'm hoping we have a different tone. Um, you know, we've had four years of um, a pretty contentious relationship between the legislature and the governor. Um, I think that it, it takes two to tango, so I'll take my fair share of responsibility for saying that we need to fix that. I, I hope he does too. Um, and if I see uh, his inaugural address to Senator Lemmy, who said, was pretty partisan. It was really focused on things that he believes in, knowing there's very little chance we're ever going to do. So my hope for his address tonight is to not continue to focus on hot-button issues, which really only rile up your own side. I think we have too much of that in society today. So I would rather focus on areas where we could really find that common ground. Cutting taxes for everybody, ensuring that we have enough funding for our schools, making sure we can find a way in the future to pay for roads. How do we get people back to work? Those should not instantly be topics where you have this bright line drawn between the two sides. But really, the tone has to be set by the governor. Um, so we'll see what happens tonight. We'll see what happens in his budget. My hope is he follows more of a game plan that Jim Doyle had, where if you go back and look at him uh, and his, the way that he did it, they did not introduce a whole lot of hot-button items. They tried to say what could legitimately pass through a Republican legislature, and then they negotiated from the middle. Um, I think if Governor Evers continues to be from the far, far left, we're going to have the same next four years that we've had the last four years, and that's not my goal. All right. Well, we'll we will learn more tonight more conversation. Thank you both Thanks, for joining Lisa. us today. Thank you. All right. And thank you to the viewers of Newsmakers. Be sure to tune in again as we highlight the issues and sit down with the decision makers who make a difference for all of us. This program is a production of Wisconsin Eye, an independent, nonpartisan, nonprofit media network with a mission to inform, educate, and engage the citizens of Wisconsin. Wisconsin Eye is the nation's first and only independently funded state civics broadcast network, providing gavel-to-gavel -gavel access to government proceedings and events at the state capitol.